But now we'll get into the next topic, which is drone strikes hitting Moscow and other parts of Russia. But uh, the one that caught the attention was Moscow. Uh, there's a new strategy that Ukraine is embracing, uh, which is taking the war to Russia by hitting their capital with drones to weaken their resolve to fight. That is their stated aim here. So they've, they've just given up on any tangible military achievements and results and gone straight for the metaphysical and spiritual. Oh, if we attack their cities enough, they'll lose the will to fight. Even though on a myriad of occasions that has proven not to work. In fact, it has often, as was the case with Berlin, the Berlin bombings, the bombings in London, uh, the bombings of Tokyo and other Japanese cities, you know, before the atomic bombs and arguably, arguably perhaps even the atomic bombs didn't do, didn't push them over the edge. Maybe they had already made the decision, especially when you consider the damage done by the firebombs. There was a lot of damage done to cities throughout the world wars and throughout the period after that and very rarely very very rarely has anyone surrendered because of that the only potential outlier i can see was france when paris got put under siege in the franco-prussian war and that was not and that wasn't because they had lost the will to fight it was one because they had already been trounced militarily they'd lost like a whole army at Sedan and their emperor and then France their capital was uh, well it was very special to them it was very important to them and they did they didn't want it to be damaged like that so very rarely does bombing cities and hell you can even go to World War One with the Zeppelin bombings in London Zeppelin bombings of cities it it has rarely rarely if ever convinced a a country to stop fighting very very rare like there's you can count perhaps on two hands the number of times that it's actually that that strategy has actually worked so the fact that they're switching to this same failed policy now is an indication of what's to come failure but that hasn't that doesn't mean that the attacks haven't done anything they have been bombing cities in russia they have been bombing buildings in russia civilian buildings mind you uh there was a, one video i saw where some guy was driving along the highway and when he drives past this one building when uh, another building comes into view and you see this giant black uh scorched hole not a black hole but a, a scorched hole it's all black in the side of this one this one giant building it's like a corporate building a skyscraper and there's this giant hole closer towards like the bottom it looked like it was toward the bottom which would be really bad for structural integrity the whole thing could have come down if it if it got hit a couple more times russia would have had a 9-11 moment and oh boy Oh boy, would we have would that have demonstrated exactly why this strategy doesn't work? Had any one of these towers and the, the drone strikes are still going on. 
if Ukraine somehow manages to take down with a, a sufficient number of drones a, a Russian skyscraper and thousands of Russians die as a result of the collapse, Ukraine will have more than an anti-terrorism operation to deal with. They'll have more than a special military operation. They will have the full weight of the Russian military on top of them. And at this point, I'm pretty sure Russia's just looking for an excuse to use it. Like, because they're very, they're very, they're sticklers for their own rules. They, they're very, they are very legalistic, which is why they do things in the way that they do. And it often confuzzles us. But They've been hitting civilian buildings with drones. I'm talking about Ukraine here. Ukraine has been bombing the Kerch Strait Bridge again, presumably using drones, as well as they've been using these Storm Shadow missiles that they got from Britain, launching them from these uh, sort of bomber platforms. Russia's response to that was to fire off missiles and bomb the airports and the airstrips that they were using to launch these attacks from. They haven't completely wiped out all the ability of Ukraine to use the Storm Shadow missiles, but they've done a significant damage to a lot of Ukraine's airfields, which funnels Ukraine's air power towards certain locations. Now Russia has known quantities, and perhaps there's even a strategic value in doing that, because if you bomb all the air, the airstrips that are troublesome to you, that you would be hard-pressed to deal with otherwise, but you force you leave some alone and then you force the other side to use those airstrips now you know exactly where the enemy air force is going to be at any given moment in time any air operation that ukraine conducts is going to come from airstrips that the russians have not targeted and the russians know which ones they haven't targeted they have satellites they know where the ukrainian army and their military is and they have to some degree penetrated Ukrainian uh, communications. So if they know where the airstrips are and they have real-time intelligence on when a plane is taking off, then they, if they know what, where the airstrips are and they know when a plane is taking off and landing, well, then that means that you know when to put your air defenses, when, you, when to turn the air defenses on and what direction to fire in. And that's, I got to say, the Russians are not just a really good fighting force but they're a, a really toxic one they're a really toxic one perhaps that's just what professionalism in the military looks like and but i'll i'll sort of elaborate on that point as we go as we go on which is strange that i'm calling the russians toxic when we look at what ukraine's doing but i'll i'll elaborate on that i i will uh but yeah they they're the Ukrainians are using drones, they're using their storm shadow missiles, and the Russians are bombing their airports in the largest, one of the largest missile bombing campaigns we've seen since the missile bombings started back in October. So it's escalating, it's escalating. Ukraine has been using drone strikes to hit Russian ships in the Black Sea as well. Uh, with the breakdown of the grain deal, now they're, it's, all gloves are off in the Black Sea. And the war expands. The war expands into the waters. Now, Russia has started using its electronic jamming capabilities to deal with this. And it's so far proving to be a hard counter to the drone swarm tactic. If you just jam the signals, then the drones can't really do much. Uh, so it looks like that might be the hard counter to drone swarms. A very simple 
and effective technology. Will drones advance to the point where they can deal with that? We'll, we'll see. I mean, they're still a relatively new development. But electronic jamming is very... Yeah, that's asymmetric warfare for you. Cheap, effective. And it completely, and it's a hard counter. So it's... Uh, yeah. We'll see how effective it is for the Russians moving forward. Uh, this is one of those things where we just have to observe it. Uh, but the shift of Ukraine from infantry tactics to drone tactics and it is likely a result of the failure of their great counteroffensive after nearly two months of this offensive ukraine has only taken a, a few hundreds of meters and this is not according to me this is according to officials in the u.s military ukrainian gains can be measured in the hundreds of meters uh and when you look at the, the broader front line, you see that the Ukrainians have made this small dent, this really, really small dent in the Zaporizhia region where they've pushed the Russians back a little bit, but the Rush, that they still haven't reached the Russian main defensive lines. After two months of the offensive, they've secured a few hundred meters, a few hundred meters, and depending on where exactly, a, a few miles, Give, put some credit on their name, a few miles. But they've failed to reach even the first of the three major defensive lines that Russia built behind their front line in anticipation for this offensive, meaning they haven't even broken through the Russian front lines. They haven't put Russia in a position where they would need to fall back to the defensive line on any part of the front. There was a political article, political article that came out and I will read some of it to you as it's very revealing because it's other people. Other people coming to these conclusions that I've been talking about and a number of other people have been talking about. But it's other people. People with some, uh, some rank and some luster behind their name. The article goes like this. Uh, quote, The latest attack, which saw Ukraine throw in thousands of Western-trained reinforcements to drive south from the town of Orykiv, has not yet yielded significant results. U.S. Department, U.S. Defense Department officials told NatSec Daily this week, with one noting that the gains are being measured in the hundreds of meters. End quote. So the U.S. Defense Department is talking about how meager Ukraine's gains are. But remember... Ukraine has already lost strategically and militarily. According to Mark Milley and according to Lloyd Austin and according to Blinken, Ukraine's already lost. I mean, I mean, Russia, <laughs> Russia's already lost. So I've just, I've just predicted the future of what they'll be saying, basically. Because they'll eventually say it, you know, after the fact. that they, they don't like telling the truth until they don't have any other option. But yeah. We're supposedly Russia has lost militarily, strategically, and and in every aspect, Russia has already lost. Russia's already been defeated, according to Blinken, Lloyd Austin, and Mark Milley. And yet, the Defense Department is saying that Ukraine's counteroffensive gains are measured in the hundreds of meters. That's not a lot of land. The article continues, quote, Ukraine now has 150,000 troops committed to the operation across three axes of attack, including multiple Western-trained brigades, 
said one of the DOD, that's the Department of Defense, said one of the DOD officials who, like others interviewed for this newspaper, was granted anonymity to discuss operational details. Uh, but Kiev is still keeping a number of forces in reserve as soldiers continue probing heavily mined Russian defenses for weak spots, end quote. So they committed 150,000 troops to this. Three axes of attack across a, a relatively small area when you look at the, the part of the front line where they're attacking. And their gains are meager. Especially when you when you look at the losses. I mean, the, the, the tanks, the armored vehicles for gains measured in the hundreds of meters. What kind of an offensive is that? But they it, it doesn't end there. Quote, They're make, they are making mostly small incremental gains, end quote, on all three of these axes. And I'm sort of filling in the blanks here. On all three of these axes, the, the official said, quote, they are still facing stiff Russian resistance. And now the article refers to that re resistance as second and third layers of Russian defense, but this is second and third layers on the front line, not the layers of defense that Russia has behind the line. So it's the Russians do the defense in depth thing on their front line so that it's hard to even get through the front line. And then behind the front lines, the Russians have their defensive lines with the tank traps and the dragon's teeth and the trenches and the art, the, the fixed artillery positions, the, the pre-sighted artillery and the overlapping machine gun and, and, and the pillboxes. You know, really toxic, really toxic defense, defensive structures that the Ukrainians haven't even had the privilege of getting to see. Uh, the article then gave a statement, which was made by Pentagon spokesperson Brigadier General Patrick Ryder, who says this, quote, It has and will continue to be a tough fight for them, end quote. Uh, and that, that's what he said. Another comment was made by an anonymous advisor to the Ukrainian government who said, quote, even when Ukrainian forces manage to clear a minefield and advance, Russia will use artillery and helicopters to drop more mines behind them, trying to trap units between minefields. End quote. So that, that, that's what I'm talking about when I say the Russians are toxic. Like, like that, that's honestly, if I'm being completely honest with myself, that's something I would do in a video game. Like, all right, you have us, how can I, how can I be as much of an asshole to you as I can? Like, oh, you're, you're facing a minefield. Oh, wow. You cleared my minefield. Let me drop more mines behind you so that you can't reinforce without first clearing the, the same area that you just cleared of minefields. Yeah. You have to clear that again. If you want to reinforce the troops you just sent forward. Oh, the troops you just sent forward want to retreat. Oh, too bad. Watch out for that mine. Ooh. Ooh, you didn't see that mine. You weren't like, like, like that's toxic. That is so toxic. Like it, you imagine being on the Ukrainian side. You went through all this effort to clear out the mines and they, they are, they're really struggling with that. Like they, they're losing minesweepers at an, uh, an alarming rate, an alarming rate being they don't have that many. So if you lose one or two, that's a lot, but you're losing the minesweepers 
and then you you the enemy can constantly just spam minefields you you go through all this work all this effort this incredibly tedious job of clearing flat open land where you can be shot at any moment you go through all this effort to clear these mines so the troops can advance the troops move in in advance and then the same area is mined again the next day or the next week like come the fuck on <laughs> come the fuck whoa that's that's toxic that is just so unbelievably toxic and now say i'm wrong say i'm wrong that's 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 bullying is what it is i'm laughing but if you're if you're the guy who's on the front line it ain't all that funny well if you're the russian it's funny because you because because you know what's happening that's and they have no counter that you can't counter that that is uncounterable unless you can shoot down every russian helicopter and even then the russians can just deploy mines by artillery primarily through rocket artillery you know they fire a missile and then the missile when it explodes all these mines drop down onto the ground so, so unless you can stop literally every missile that the russians fire every rocket that the russians fire you can't stop this and it's toxic you can't move an armored vehicle through that because the the underbelly of the vehicle is usually the weakest part and that's where the mine is you can't walk across that you will die you'll lose a leg you have to you have to sit there and clear the field otherwise it's it's not even worth it it's not it's like it's like how marshes and certain terrain back in the day when when terrain was a lot more uh, effective in in the individual battles uh, it played a much larger role how certain terrain features like say mud well i guess mud is well, still pretty relevant mud or like a a sudden rain would turn the the ground soft and things would get muddy and oh now it takes a while to move through this or a forest how a forest would slow down a for a force of men or a hill if someone had to charge your position and they're running up a hill that would slow them down but the Russians have replaced terrain, in some cases, with just artificial, artificial terrain, shaping the battlefield with a manufactured terrain feature, which is minefields. And they're just spamming them, just spamming them. And even when you clear them, they can just drop them behind you. That even when you clear them, that they can just have that same area mined again the next day. Even if you clear them and you advance through, they can just drop mines behind you. Now you can't even retreat safely. Now retreat is a suicide mission. Like, this is why I call them toxic. And uh, honestly, it's why I have an affinity with them because it, it's something I would do. It, I, it's something I would do. All right, if I if I was playing a game, Civilization, what have you and I had the ability to do this, I would do it. I would do it without a second thought. And I would have layer upon layer upon layer of minefield. And I know I'd do it because I have in some other game, but I, I can't remember the name of that game for my life, to save my life. I've already, I already know I would do it. And I, I'm, I know that I'm toxic when I play these games. It's, it's such an, a bad situation for the Ukrainians to be in. It's just such a really bad situation for them to be in. 
And it's a shame that we forced them to be in this. Because, again, this did not need to happen. We could have made peace on multiple occasions, but in, on every turn, we said no. And now they have to deal with that. And I know I've harped on the, the mines thing, but this offensive, they've lost all this, all these tanks, all these men for these meager gains. And it's not me saying that they're meager. It's multiple officials, source after source after source in the U.S. military, high-ranking people saying, yeah, it's not going very well. Oh, yeah, they have a tough fight ahead of them. Oh, the gains are being measured in the hundreds of meters? What? And then you, you look at what the Ukrainians have gotten in exchange. Well, actually, you don't look what they've gotten in exchange. You look at what they've given in exchange. In exchange for these gains, these these meager-ass games, which are still being contested by the Russians as we speak. Ukraine has lost hundreds of armored vehicles. Somewhere around six to 700. I, I, I've, lost, I've lost count. I can guarantee you they've lost 500 of them. I can guarantee you that much. They've lost upwards of 100 tanks. They might be approaching 200 tanks lost. And these are modern tanks. These are these are the Leopard 2s. You know, Leopard, well, not all of them are Leopard 2. They didn't have that many. But, you know, Leopard 2s, Abrams, like at least 50 of these were, were modern tanks supplied by the West. Because I know that many Leopards and, and Abrams and a number of other Western modern tanks were supplied and were destroyed. I know that at least that many were destroyed, 50. The Ukrainians have lost well over 100 tanks, and it might be somewhere close to 200. I'm sure we'll get numbers for that in time. But considering that they don't produce tanks, and we don't produce tanks fast enough to just shrug off the losses like that, that's huge. And remember... We we just talked about with those minefields. You're you're not advancing. You're not advancing without armor. Especially if the terrain is flat. But what do you do? What do you do against that? What do you do? It's so I'm I'm trying putting myself in the, the shoes of the Ukrainians. That's that's such a frustrating position to be in. Because you know that there's just no counter to that. There is literally nothing you can do about that. It doesn't, and it, you know what? And then when you, when you do find somewhere that isn't completely mined out, and you, and you go for the attack, you're out in the open and you have no air cover. So the Russians can just pick you off. You can, you can see the Russian drones in the sky, and you know, oh, brother, here comes the artillery. Oh, boy, here comes the Russian missile spam. And boom, there goes your tank. Boom, there goes your armored vehicle. Boom, there goes all of your armored cover. Now you have to advance across that open field with nothing to cover you. And you're going to get shot. You're going to get mown down with, our, with artillery and machine gun fire and snipers. You already know this. It's a suicide mission. And there's nothing you can do to change that fact. That is such a frustrating and uh, ag aggravating position to be in. I do not envy the Ukrainian leadership. 
they've lost all this armor, all these all these tanks, all these armored vehicles, and the, the casualty figures. The casualty figures are just being uh, they're being updated across the board, and it's all upwards, all upwards. Uh, not as if they could go down, uh, but it's just shooting up. Russia Today said, oh, excuse me, Russia Today said, quote, attacking through Russian minefields without air support, Ukraine's Western-supplied tanks and armored vehicles have been picked off by Russian aviation and artillery. And Moscow estimates that the offensive has cost Kiev at least 30,000 men, end quote. 30,000 men. Colonel Douglas McGregor, in two of his recent interviews that I've seen, one of which being on the dive with Jackson Hinkle, he stated, Ukraine's dead now number at 104, uh, not 140. Well, in his interview with um, Jackson Hinkle, he said that they, he got satellite images sent to him by uh, an informant of his. And the, the images were 140,000 graves, freshly dug graves, ready for Ukrainian bodies. And he estimates now that the number of Ukrainian dead now numbers at 400,000. And Scott Ritter has put up essentially the same number in his recent interviews. Uh, I, I recommend watching the one with Denny Haifong on the left lens. And if true, if their numbers are true, it would imply that Ukraine's total casualties, because their 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 deaths are usually usually make up half their casualties, if their numbers hold true, the four hundred thousand, God, four hundred thousand. If that number is true, that would mean Ukraine's total casualties are now reaching or approaching eight hundred thousand losses. Now, contrary to this, there is some contrary information. So I'll bring it to you in case that in case that that number is a bit too high to stomach and in case that number is a bit too high to believe. Contrary to this, uh, statistics, the statistics based on Ukraine's obituary count have been published. And apparently now around 400 obituaries of Ukrainian soldiers are published daily. Published daily. And apparently uh, recently, a lot of them have been women. So even women are now being drawn into the fight, which is a, a tragedy, uh, a tragedy within the, within the broader tragedy that is Ukraine. Uh, it's one thing to lose a generation of men. Uh, it's another thing to lose a generation of women because you have no potential of getting that back. That's why women historically have stayed home and the men go out to fight. Because if the men die and the women are still alive, you can at least attempt a repopulation sometimes it's successful sometimes it's not but if the the women die and you have a whole bunch of dudes left over or you lose lots of women and lots of dudes well congratulations you played yourself there, there's no coming back from that so but i i think that the women dying a lot in these regiments has been more of a recent development relatively uh, we'll see when the war is over like but this is, we can see the conscription is really reaching the scraping the barrel levels. Because they, I guess they've run out of men. Certainly fighting age men. 
So now they're digging into the not just the manpower pool, but the woman power pool. Meaning that the damage done by these catastrophic losses are going to be just that, catastrophic. The Ukrainian ethnicity is being taken to the woodshed. They're, they're being axed. And for no reason. Because we could have had peace so, at so many different junctures. We could have had peace. But again, I'll go back to the, the, the stuff here. With the casualty statistics based on the obituaries, which is, would be a statistic based on confirmed kills, confirmed deaths of Ukrainian soldiers, apparently now 400 obituaries are published a day, which would at least imply perhaps there's a delay between the death and the confirmation of the death, and they're only publishing so many a day uh, instead of publishing a lot, uh, apparently there was a, a high point of like a thousand in one day back in November. But we can potentially extrapolate that 400 Ukrainians are dying a day, every day. Which would mean 12,000 dying every month. Dying, not casualties, dying, which means 24,000 casualties every month. That's insane. Because 400 a day times 10. That's 4,000. 4,000 deaths, because these are obituaries. 4,000 deaths every 10 days. 30 days in a month. Multiply it by 3. 12,000 deaths in a month is the new average right now. Which means 24,000 casualties a month. For at least the two months that this counteroffensive has been going on. That's insane. That's just absolutely insane. 24,000 casualties a month. Now, again, it could be less than that. It could be less than that. We're just taking a single data point and extrapolating it over the course of a month. Uh, if if the Russians are confirming 30,000, uh, let's see, with uh, 30,000 men, and we assume that that's casualties, okay. Okay. Now, maybe that maybe they mean deaths because they, they say lost. It's cost Kiev at least thirty thousand men. That's what that's what the Russian that's what Moscow estimates. Now, do they mean deaths, casualties? If they mean casualties, then okay, that's the low ball. If they mean deaths, then it would actually sort of line up with the obituary count extrapolated over the course of two months. And. Uh, Oh my goodness, my goodness. That's just really, really bad. That's just really, really bad. But the obituary-based statistics do differ from, again, Scott Ritter and Douglas McGregor's numbers. They're, they're saying that 400,000 are dead, which implies 800,000 casualties. The obituary statistics differ from that total casualty figure in that the obituary, just counting the obituaries, that puts the statistic of total Ukrainian dead at 284,000 dead Ukrainians. Only 284, only. Which would imply, because again, deaths usually make up half of Ukraine's casualties, 284,000 dead based on the obituary count 
would imply a, a total Ukrainian casualties at around 568,000. As deaths, again, usually make up half Ukraine's casualties, so the casualties would be double the deaths. Now, this number would only barely, barely line up with the numbers McGregor and others, including Scott Ritter, were using back in April and May. And considering that this uh, obituary figure comes out after two months of the great of the great counteroffensive, we can probably assume that these numbers would have been significantly lower back in May prior to said offensive beginning. So we'll we'll just say, even if we say 250,000 dead, that still means 500,000 casualties. Like it's getting to a point where even the lowball statistic is catastrophic. It's just these catastrophic losses. And I suppose I'll take this, uh, the obituary count here, as the new official podcast estimate. Because these the published obituaries, well, it's not for me to argue against that. So we're going to go on and revise our, our numbers upwards by nearly 100,000, bro. The official estimate up until this point has been that, well, they've had 200,000 dead. For the past, like, three months, that's been the official estimate here. When others were saying 350,000, 300,000, 350,000, we were saying, you know what, maybe it's, it's just it's just 200,000 dead and just 200,000 wounded for a total of just 400,000 casualties. Now the obituaries come out and my numbers have no choice but to get revised upwards by 84,000. 284,000 dead Ukrainians, 568,000 casualties that's the low ball now that's the low ball now nearly 600,000 casualties is the low ball now and the high ball is 800k we're getting to a point where it doesn't matter if you high or low ball the numbers it's still terrible it's still mind-boggling understand the United States didn't take that many casualties in all of World War II six years of fighting we did not take that many we didn't even take half a half a million we didn't even reach the half a million point we were like four hundred and something thousand over the the four years well really three because we got we got bombed and December of 41, so really was 42 onwards to the end of 45. So 42, 43, 43, about four years. Four years of fighting is what it took for the United States to get to somewhere above 400,000 casualties. Well, no, 400,000 dead. 400,000 dead. Because we had 300,000 casualties in World War One, but that was 100,000 dead. That took four years of fighting. That took four years of fighting. Ukraine has lost half of that in one and a half years of fighting. And the numbers are they're, they're escalating. It's it's moving faster now. Because they didn't get to the 100,000 dead number until late November of 2022. And we know that because Ursula von der Leyen gave us that number. When she was trying to get support for Ukraine, 100,000 Ukrainians were dead 
she said back in November of last year. November is coming up and the number is about to be triple that already. Just counting their obituaries. Is it going to be three and a half times that much when we get to when we actually get to late November, early December? That is crazy. It's it's just really, really bad. And the counteroffensive is still going on. We, we it's it's objectively failed. It has failed to reach any meaningful objective. It hasn't even reached the first major line of Russian defenses. And yet the bodies are just piling up. And no one wants to make peace except for Russia. Our leaders would rather have these fake peace deals, these fake peace talks in Arabia, where they invite everybody except for the other half of the equation, which is Russia. They'll invite the Ukrainians and not the Russians so they can talk about peace. That's not how you make a peace deal. That's not how you make a settlement. You can't talk with one side and then try to impose try to impose your, your your imagined delusional worldview onto them. If they're not present in the talks, then why you you haven't taken into account their side? And they don't want to take Russia's side into account. They want to have their cake and eat it. They want re- Ukraine to get everything back, including Crimea, and for Russia to just go away. It's, and that's not going to happen. And because they can't accept that, because they can't accept that Russia has won, they would rather give away everything we have in our military arsenal. They'd rather continue spilling hundreds of billions of dollars and laundering tens of billions of dollars through Ukraine. They would rather sacrifice a half a million Ukrainian lives. So that they don't have to admit that they were wrong. So that they don't have to be adults and come to the table with Russia and hammer out an actual peace. They would rather go play pretend. They'd rather go play house in Arabia than to shake hands with a Russian. That's out... That's just insane. That's just insane is what it is. And we, we can also see now with these ridiculous losses that Ukrainian that Ukraine suffered through this. Uh, if you remember back, I was talking about uh, late November, early December, uh, that same time period, we got that interview with Zeluzhny where he taught, said if he if he had uh, 300 tanks and 500 armored vehicles and, and 400 artillery pieces, he can win the war. He got all that. Well, not the 500 tanks, not not the 300 tanks, but he got the armored vehicles. He got a, a good chunk of the artillery. He got an extra 100 or 200 tanks. He got lots of, he got hundreds of thousands of shells. And it all amounted to nothing. So what does that tell us? Does it say if he had had it back then, could he have won the war? 
or does it tell us that he had no ability to win the war at all? I guess that'll be one of the unanswered questions in history about this war. I had to close the door for a second. But yeah, he asked for all these things. He got them and they've been destroyed. And that, that's the reason I brought the numbers up. Because when you look at the the destruction of the equipment, and at this point in the game, you start to notice that there's this sort of overlap in the number of destroyed armored vehicles that matches what he asked for back in December. So I guess we now have those a what if scenario for the war what if he had gotten those 300 tanks and 500 armored vehicles and 400 artillery pieces could Zeluzhny have won the war we'll never know i'm of the opinion that he probably couldn't because at the time he asked for it it was there was too much mud for them to do anything and when they finally came around for this offensive when the ground was hard enough for them to do it the russians were missile and mine spamming and the Ukrainians had no answer to that. So even if he had had these armored vehicles, I'm not entirely certain if it would have meant much. Because how do you get past the mines? Perhaps they would have made it to the first or maybe even the second line of defense that the Russians had set up. But we'll never know. What we do know is that you, we can see exactly what Ukraine's prospects of winning are. Which, barring Russia choosing a white piece, after all this, after all this equipment lost, after all these lives laid to rest, barring a, a Russia choosing a white piece, Ukraine's prospects of winning are non-existent. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.